in today's environment for physicians, you have to be creative. You have to, and I think physicians are uniquely qualified uh, to understand the medical aspects of this facility and what can go inside of it and what can be successful over someone like myself. And that's why we always had healthcare professionals team up with us. So, you know, I, for physicians to focus on, uh, you know, the service lines and the medical uses, I think it's important in understanding that, that they believe those uses are going to be successful today, but also successful in the future. It, I, it's imperative though, and like we said this before, that you team, you team with the, um, you know, with a real estate professional, a development firm, because uh, it's a very expensive proposition when you make a mistake and something doesn't happen. You can assume that you're going to spend, if a project costs, you know, $20 million, you're going to spend a couple million dollars, you know, through architecture, engineering, third-party uh, reporting, surveying, uh, legal, uh, you know, before you even start construction. This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. This week on the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast, I have the pleasure to interview Todd Bryant, President and Managing Director of Healthcare Development Partners. Todd entered the healthcare real estate market in its infancy and is still delivering projects to the market based on the current real estate needs of various healthcare service lines to deliver care. Join me as we listen to his story. So, Todd, welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. Good afternoon. So, uh, let's start with the history of healthcare development partners. How did you get started and to get to where you are today? I was uh, in commercial real estate in the late 80s and uh, uh, had an opportunity to go to work for a healthcare developer up in Wisconsin. I spent a couple years with him, and then the recession hit, and uh, uh, I stayed in healthcare. I started Healthcare Development Partners in 1992, and we're going to, you know, next year we'll be 30 years old. And what are some of the biggest changes you've seen? I mean, you've been in healthcare real estate for quite a long time from, you know, where it started and kind of where it is right now. Yeah, uh, it's a lot more sophisticated, I guess. You know, but when we started in the 90s, I think, you know, our clients were all hospitals or healthcare systems. On budget, on time was a big deal back then. You know, it, it was, you know, a lot of people had a hard time achieving that. And so, you know, guaranteeing a, a timeline and a budget was a, a big value proposition for our clients and our projects. Uh, I think today that, you know, that's a, an expected outcome uh, pretty much. And, you know, the level of sophistication at, at the healthcare system and hospital level is much greater. Uh, our projects have changed a lot too. You know, we. Uh, to do a much more integrated uh, facility today than we did back then, uh, where we had individual physician suites and some hospital space. Uh, now it's really more of an integrated outpatient facility, and it's come a long ways. Yeah, I think outpatient is where a lot of this is going. Um, 
so what made you decide to go into commercial real estate in the healthcare real estate space? Was it just your first job got you there and you got hooked? No, so I, I worked for, I, 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 you know, I'm from the Midwest. I went to Madison. I came to Chicago. I, uh, uh, you know, I wanted to be in, in real estate. Uh, I got my, uh, I started in investment banking uh, and, you know, really to get to the real estate company I wanted to. There was a company back then called Equitech. They were out of San Francisco. Uh, they were a syndicator uh, back then. Uh, there were tax strategies that were pretty uh, uh, attractive to investors. And so we were a part of that. Uh, there were, you know, a number of commercial downtown office buildings in Chicago I was involved in. Um, and then I started looking at doing my own projects uh, in and around Chicago. I got into uh, the healthcare field basically, uh, you know, to get more experience in development. I was, you know, in my early 20s. And the lenders were looking for me to uh, uh, have more experience. My projects were getting larger. And so the idea was to go up to uh, Milwaukee, work there for two years, come back and, and build downtown you know, office buildings. And uh, uh, then that recession hit. And I, again, I sort of got stuck in healthcare. The commercial real estate office market uh, basically collapsed for you know, a number of years. And it was very fortuitous because that you know, healthcare real estate uh, is, is not as cyclical as uh, a number of other sectors in real estate. So uh, I'm very blessed to have that. I worked as a minority partner for another firm and then again, started healthcare development partners in 1992. Um, and, uh, you know, basically it's, it's you, know, you know, we've watched the business continue to grow. I think I remember the first BOMA conference, there was probably 30 people there. And, uh, you know, now we you know, they have them all over the country and multiple locations. And so it's, the industry just it has exploded and it's changed. And, uh, you know, we're excited about the future. That's great. So HDP uh, leadership includes both real estate and healthcare professionals. So how do you think this expertise working together strategically helps you? So healthcare professionals and uh, people who were in the uh, administration for hospitals or in that type of uh, setting, are, are, are very important back when we were, I mean, back in the 90s and, and, and in the early 2000s, uh, you know, if we didn't do a lot of work that the hospital needed to get board approval. You know, these projects would, you know, you know, sit on the drawing boards for a long time. And so, you know, we did incremental revenue assessment, utilization analysis. We did all this in-house and, and, and provide that to the hospital, you know, at no cost. Uh, to get us closer to starting our project. We, we only make money when we build projects, turn a shovel of dirt. And so hospital administrators really spoke that language. Uh, they had a level of confidence with other administrators. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and those personalities are really different. I mean, when we have people coming out of a healthcare system, uh, their personality is a lot different than someone who comes from a real estate background. And so you need both of them, you know, because the, a hospital setting has is, is got a, a very sophisticated operating uh, platform uh, and they have all kinds of different requirements and needs than uh, a, a typical commercial real estate office building or project like that. Uh, and it's really important to be able to understand those sensitivities. I mean, you, uh, you, you know, there's a lot that has to happen that going into making a, a healthcare facility successful. And, and these, these people have really been a, a big part of what we've done over the last yeah, three decades. And, and I, you can't, uh, I mean, 
medical office buildings are, are kind of one structure, but when you get more specialized, you can't build it and hope they will come. You have to really uh, build it for their need. Correct. Correct. And that's a really good point, uh, Tricia, because uh, understanding how the building is going to be utilized is critical. And, you know, trying to build sort of even today a building uh, without really understanding who, what, type of use will be in that building mm-hmm. is, a, is, is a high risk proposition. Absolutely. Uh, HTP has some interesting differentiators I was looking at and among them, you, you uh, have this guaranteed price program. So tell me about this. You know, that, that it's been around since almost the beginning. And uh, uh, what we do is again, you know, uh, with hospital clients, especially second tier community hospitals, uh, you, know, you know, being able to uh, guarantee a, a total project cost and guarantee a delivery date is, is is something that gets back to our roots of being at-risk developers. We don't do any uh, consulting work. We uh, we don't do any uh, program management. Again, I think I emphasize where you know we go at risk for all the pre-development expenses, uh, and and so you know we're pretty careful about you know what we do. So, but the, the idea there was to remove, you know, for, a, you know, these projects are a major investment by these second tier hospitals and they are for primary markets too. But, you know, if we can remove the risk on the cost and go at risk for the timing, uh, they're hiring doctors, they're buying equipment for these facilities, and they need to know that that building is going to be there on this day. And if it's not, what are the penalties? And so we, we eliminated that risk for them. Uh, and it, it's been a, it's a very successful program and it allows us again to align with our clients from a, a standpoint of, you know, delivering these projects. And if we don't do what we say we're going to do, then, you know, we, you know, we have to suffer the cost consequences and so forth. And, you know, we pick that up. And I guess the correlation is not just the project costs, it's mostly because they're tenants. It's the, uh, it's the rent that they pay. And so, you know, we, we give them a rent number, you know, day one, and we live by that rent number. Even if the project costs go up, that means our returns just go down. But, you know, they need to know that rent number. And a lot of, you know, a lot of other firms you know, yeah. just never did that. So in Arizona, specifically, you have several success stories. Um, St. Luke Medical Center, a regional medical center, and Sun Health Ambulatory Care Clinic. Do you want to highlight one the audience and share the case study and story behind it? So I, I think, you know, Sarah Vista, uh, you know, it was a great project. It was actually in the central coast of California, but, and I'll talk about the other one, but that was for a large system. That was for tenant, uh, you know, California has a lot of nuances that are make development very uh, uh, challenging, very difficult. Uh, and, you know, so getting a project built in California, you should be proud of, uh, especially, you know, you know, in the central coast area where, uh, you know, development paths and sites are very uh, hard to find. Uh, you know, that was a, a building that was on, it was more traditional uh, medical office building because it was on the uh, campus of uh, uh, Sierra Vista. Uh, and it was housed again, more traditionally with uh, the hospital taking the first two floors and then we leased out the other two floors to the doctors. But we did have an integrated surgery and, and other parts of that. and. Again, that was a, a project that uh, had a lot of development challenges. Uh, the one up in, uh, you know, for Sun Health, uh, you know, we talked about a little, but it, you know, that was another project that was pretty interesting because we we were up in an area that was sort of on the outskirts of you know Phoenix, you know, north of Scottsdale, and uh, you know, Sun Health at the time, you know, it was an independent healthcare system, 
and they were, you know, increasing their footprint or, you know, up north into that corridor. And, you know, we had started the project. We were, you know, we were basically enclosed and Sun Health was bought by Banner. Uh, and that created a, a number of challenges, ultimately leading to us replacing Banner with Vanguard at that time as an anchor tenant and in a sort of a challenging market too back in the last recession. And so there were a lot of things that, you know, a lot of curveballs in that project. Uh, but, you know, you know, we, you know, stayed with it and it's, it's filled today. And again, it's just, I know it's a good success story for, uh, for Phoenix. And that's a great example of pivoting, huh? <laughs> yeah. Unexpected, <laughs> unexpected pivoting. Or forced yeah. pivoting. <laughs> forced pivoting, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so where do you, where does HDP uh, focus its efforts geographically and, and why do you pick those markets? So I, I, I guess, you know, we're, we're definitely national. We've built in 30 states. Uh, you know, I think, you know, we, we like to go into uh, growth markets or second tier markets, you know, sort of separately. Um, you know, today we're in, you know, we're as far east as Virginia. We have a number of projects out east in Virginia, uh, Texas, Arizona, California, Illinois, um, state of Washington, uh, Missouri. So we're pretty much all over the country. Uh, we have our uh, core business that, you know, is what we've always described, which is the at-risk facility development for healthcare systems. And then we've tried to focus into some service lines that, that we really think are going to be growth opportunities, uh, you know, in the future. And just for, you know, um, you know, I think large, some large independent physician groups, you know, they do consider developments for their projects. One, because they can uh, build it as they need it to be, and then, you know, put other tenant mix referral systems in place. Um, and just, I think, I'm, and I may just be speaking for Arizona, but the development here for, I would say, medical office buildings has been, I think, pretty well managed since, um, you know, 2008 and 2009. So, you know, I, I want them to understand as a developer, you know, the, the amount of upfront costs that you go at risk, you know, to, you know, from buying the land, if you have to do anything to rezone the land, all the upfront architectural engineering costs and everything before they even get to the design of the building and start, you know, um, putting it in place. So can you, you know, kind of yeah. summarize so that the, maybe a little more eloquently than I just did, but. Well, no, I, I think that it's a good point. I, I think that, uh, well, I think first of all, today in, in today's environment for physicians, you have to be creative. You have to, and I think physicians are uniquely qualified uh, to understand the medical aspects of this facility and what can go inside of it and what can be successful over someone like myself. And that's why we always had healthcare professionals team up with us. So, you know, I, and for physicians to focus on, uh, you know, the service lines and the medical uses, I think it's important in understanding that, that they believe those uses are going to be successful today, but also successful in the future. I, it's imperative, though, and I've said this before, that you team, you team with the, um, you know, with a real estate professional, a development firm, because uh, it's a very expensive proposition when you make a mistake and something doesn't happen. You can assume that you're going to spend, if a project costs, you know, twenty million dollars, you're going to spend a couple million dollars, you know, through architecture, engineering, third-party uh, reporting, surveying, uh, legal. Uh, you know, before you even start construction. 
and and that oftentimes uh, you know you're not going to be able to open a loan uh, until you have a lot of these items in place because a lender is going to want to know what the project is going to cost and you can't tell them what's going to cost until you have a you know production drawings and you take it out and and so it's it's a big proposition uh, I think it's a, a good opportunity for physicians to uh, be able to uh, you know create additional value based on what they do for their career if they're careful. I mean, I think they, we see a lot of unsuccessful physician-based uh, facilities mm -hmm. that just weren't well planned or weren't well thought out. I think uh, people really don't understand that process. But you know, as much as I think physicians need uh, real estate professionals, we need physicians to put that together. So if a, if a physician group comes to you and, and they want you know a little bit of the, the economic benefit, do you have programs in place, you know, with, for limited partnerships of the physicians, if they bring it, like, you know, if they're, they're coming to you almost, I would say maybe a build to suit with a little bit of, you know, extra space. Um, and they, and they, they, you know, obviously sign a, a long-term lease. Do you have, have you done those, that in the past? Yeah, we've done a lot of that. I mean, I, I, I would even take it a step further. If, the, or if there's anyone who listens to this and wants to get advice from us you know we're happy to talk we're happy to uh, give them a financial performa uh we're happy to talk about what we think of the project and the likelihood for success and we do that at no cost i mean we we we, we also are well capitalized so we can put up the equity for the facility we do form joint ventures uh with physicians and physician groups uh have done that you know, numerous occasions uh and again you know we we're not consultants, so when someone calls us, you know, we give you know our advice and what we think, and uh, we're pretty candid about it because you know we want to be uh, careful with our time too. So we'll we'll give you a pretty honest answer on what we think, and if there's an opportunity to work together, we we love that opportunity. Uh, so I want to move on to you know your work in behavioral health. So um, you know one of your missions you you state is excellence in behavioral health. So how many facilities are you currently working on and do you feel that they're they're even remotely keeping up with the demand? Behavioral health is something we looked at about five years ago with a couple other service lines, and uh, you know spent a lot of time doing a couple things. You know, one was uh, working you know to get a, a, a an exclusive joint venture with an operator that we really would feel comfortable with, uh, you know, moving forward with a you know an exclusive uh, JV relationship. And so we have that relationship with a firm called Signet. They're out of Dallas, Texas. Uh, they currently operate 80 facilities. Uh, we're planning to do, uh, you know, start construction on four in the next year. You know, two in Texas, one in Kansas City, one in Indianapolis. Um, the, uh, you know, our idea is, you know, we're looking to build, you know, these facilities. Uh, you know, in markets where we can either, you know, we have a prototype that took about, you know. 15 months, 16 months to develop. And it allows us to either build a, a basically a 50 bed uh, facility, but then it's expandable to hundred beds. And so, uh, you know, these facilities are full on uh, I-rated hospitals. And, uh, and, uh, you know, and so there's a lot that goes into them, a lot of the staffing and so forth. And, uh, and, and so we tried to create some flexibility so we could go into other markets that maybe some people wouldn't necessarily go into and, 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 and get started with a smaller facility and then you know, be able to expand it as the demand uh, allowed. 
we see un unbelievable demand for the, I mean, we have no shortage of opportunities in behavioral health. And, 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 and it, it gets back to the, uh, the, the patient that's coming into a, a behavioral health facility doesn't fit well in a traditional emergency department. And so there's a lot of disruption uh, for hospitals in the ED of trying to care for these uh, patients and uh, having a specialized facility uh, adjacent or close to is really you know, a, a benefit not only for the behavioral health hospital, but also for the hospital that has a you know, much broader patient base. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And then, uh, you, you know, your ventures seem to follow the market demand and um, HDP is, you know, going into, uh, you know, COVID testing labs. So tell me, tell me why you started to focus on this. Well, uh, so we got the obvious. Yeah, well, we got into uh, the lab business really because of the behavioral health business. Uh, and uh, we like the lab business. We think that, uh, you know, some of the larger players, Quest, LabCorp, it's a, not a very customer-friendly uh, uh, service for a lot of people, and so you know we looked at uh, looking at toxicology and behavioral health and some of the other ones as a primary reason to enter this. We made that investment without knowing that COVID was around the corner, and then COVID um, you know sort of came upon us, and it's you know the COVID testing we see. Uh, is, is ro very robust right now, but it probably will have some element of that uh, going forward, certainly uh, with our you know, senior housing operators and skilled nursing operators and so forth. And so, uh, you know, that business line that we're looking to expand nationally, uh, I'll, I'll mention we're very interested in acquisition of existing labs to support our demand or opportunities to develop new labs. So, uh, you know, to, to all the physicians or anyone else out there who you know, may think that there's an opportunity for the lab business, uh, let Tricia know and let us know, and we'd love to talk to you about it because we see this, you know, staying here for the long term. We have a lot of relationships, too, with smaller community hospitals, you know, hundreds, you know, almost a thousand. And so we'd look to also capture some of that. Our business will be really tech forward, uh, very uh, user friendly, uh, you know, uh, and, and I think we can do a better job than what's being done right now. Uh, and we hope to consolidate this in, in, the, in the lab industry than in the same way we've done in some other service lines in healthcare. When I have this question, and I, I, would, I would think that, you know, your approach has always been so sound that, um, that the pandemic hasn't affected you, but ha has the pandemic affected your approach to pursuing opportunities or is it always the same, you know? Well, I, I think, things? I mean, so the, the biggest issue is we have, you know, we have, you know, Last the second quarter of 20, we had $300 million of projects coming out of the ground and uh, are about to come out of the ground in some form or fashion. We got about you know, half of those going and then you know, we've, we sort of froze up in financing lenders, especially in the long-term care senior housing type market. And so they got hit really bad. We had two big projects that you know, were sort of put on hold. You know, we're getting ready to get going right now. But, uh, you know, that was the biggest aspect of the pandemic. I think, uh, you know, obviously addressing infectious disease in any healthcare facility going forward is going to be an important element. I can tell you in senior housing that, uh, you know, our approach in senior housing or active adult is to align with hospitals and healthcare systems. That's what we do. I, I, I've mentioned to you that 
uh, one of our biggest assets is not on our balance sheet, it's our relationship with hospitals. I mean, that we've taken 30 years to develop. So when we do a senior housing project, you know, whether it's in Scottsdale right now at Sierra Bloom, or whether it's in Virginia, you know, uh, with Valley Health, we align with a hospital strategically, not financially, so that the hospital will have software that will see what the residents are doing uh, and, and can get in front of preventive care and get in front of an event. And so they, they have bracelets for movement and other software so they know what's going on with the medication and vice versa. The operator then has more access to healthcare. And I think with COVID, you know, being able, if you have a, you know, a loved one or, you know, a, you know, adult children who have parents in a senior housing community, having that relationship with a hospital is really a foreign element of feeling more comfortable that, you know, they're going to be taken care of and there's someone to really address some of these issues uh, that came out of COVID. Yeah, absolutely. So um, in your opinion, uh, where do you see the outlook on healthcare? Let's say maybe 12 to 18 months here, and then, you know, maybe three to five years out. Yeah, I'm very bullish on 12 months out. I mean, I think, uh, you know, we, uh, we all said that, it, it, you know, there's buildings in Chicago that are office buildings that are 100 years old and people love those buildings and they want to be in them and they're almost as efficient as the new ones today. But in healthcare, you know, facilities, we all said, you know, almost every seven to eight years needed to be uh, remodeled or have some piece of technology changed out, whether it's imaging or some, some type of surgery, OR. And so, uh, now with COVID and all this, I mean, I think it's a really going to be a robust time for facility development, uh, uh, for new technology. Uh, I think, in, like we talked about in senior housing, uh, active adult, uh, behavioral health. I mean, th- these are all things that have uh, very big demand. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the healthcare sector, healthcare real estate sector is, has grown so much that uh, it's a lot more sophisticated and for you know, for firms like us, we, our pipeline is, is full. I mean, we, you know, we have, you know, a lot of projects on the drawing boards just for the next 12 months. And I think over the next three, five years, it's going to really, you know, it's going to really change. I mean, you know, telehealth will go into smaller markets. That's another opportunity for physicians to, you know, introduce more service lines uh, in an affordable way. Um, you know, you know, there's just a lot. I mean, we haven't even talked about our some of the things we're doing with the group homes, uh, you know, small assisted living group homes and memory care, uh, where you know people can't afford to have a 120 bed senior housing project. You know, we can build a single a single story group home and deliver those to hospitals, community hospitals, or physicians, uh, and have 12 to 16 residents in that group home. You know, single story stick built at about a third of the cost to build one of the big ones on the community. It offers a lot. There's pros and cons, obviously, but there's the pros outweigh the cons. And you can get a population base or a patient base and one that I mean, maybe it's assisted living, maybe one's memory. You know, a lot of these community hospitals are going to be looking for step-down facilities, uh, you, know, uh, you know, not sick enough to stay in the hospital, but not well enough to go home or rehab, physical rehab. And so it affords a lot of flexibility and meeting demand and, and a, a much better cost point too. So uh, I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. I think that these healthcare ecosystems are 
prime where, um, you know, the acute care hospital does its job, but then nearby, like you said, you have other outpatient services that help the intermediaries and then, you know, the full on outpatient. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity in that concept and not just from acute care hospitals, but, you know, cancer centers or, or, you know, orthopedic rehabs and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all of that's going to, and, um, you know, we always want to bring healthcare closer to where we live. And with technology today and, and some of the things we're doing, we can do a lot more on an outpatient basis. And so a lot of the facility development, maybe you know, they may be a little smaller, but they're going to be closer to you know, where people live and not necessarily have to be on a hospital campus. A hospital campus is very stressful, uh, parking structures, uh, you know, signing in, signing out of different. So the more that we can eliminate uh, patients that have to go to a healthcare campus and go to an outpatient setting, the better it is for everyone and it's lower cost of delivery too. Absolutely. All right, Todd, we're going to move into the Q&A section. Um, so what was your first job? My, my first job was at uh, Prudential Beige uh, Investment Banking. Uh, they had uh, Prudential had an investment banking arm. I, I graduated college. I, I read a book, 100 Best Companies to Work For. And in that book was Toronto Crow. And they said, if you want to be a, a millionaire by the age of 25, this is the company you should work for. And I wanted to be in real estate and that sounded pretty good. And so I, uh, I had seven interviews with them. Uh, I won't name names, but I had seven. I didn't know it was, I mean, they went on to have very good careers and I did not get hired. <laughs> and so then I went, you know, I got a job uh, with Prudential Beige and investment banking. I stayed there for, you know, 18 months and I uh, got the job with Equitech after that and got into uh, commercial real estate. What would you be doing for a living if you weren't, weren't working in health, the healthcare real estate industry? Oh, that's a good question. I, uh, you know, I'm pretty competitive, so I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, a downhill skier. I mean, I would, <laughs> or maybe a boat racer. I, I, I don't know, but I, I mean, I'm, something adrenaline. Based. Something, yeah, something <laughs> sort of type A. <laughs> Probably not a bullfighter, but. <laughs> what are who are you reading or listening to right now for news, information, or inspiration? So I guess. Uh, you know, I, I try and find stuff that's sort of balanced. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, it's difficult. So, you know, on the news, I'm a big fan of David Muir on ABC. I mean, he seems to be okay. Uh, you know, Wall Street Journal, I, you know, I read that every day. Um, you know, and that, you know, I do like Forbes, you know, and that, but it's, you know, that's about it. I mean, as far as the information, it's hard to listen to too much of it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a little no, depressing. What is one thing you do every day for healthy self-care? Well, I, 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 I do work out every day. Uh, and so that either, it's usually, you know, cardio. Uh, I, I love cycling. So, you know, wherever I'm in, weather permitting, you know, we'll do road cycling, uh, Peloton inside. And then sometimes I go to the, uh, uh, you know, to the gym, the health club. And uh, do you feel that leaders are born or trained? I think both. I mean, I think you can have it both ways. I think it helps. To have a, a, a certain, uh, uh, you know, natural personality that wants you to be, you know, in the front. But I also, um, I also think that you, you can certainly have, you know, training and, and management skills taught to you. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. 
As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.